All right, have a seat. Welcome. We are glad you joined us today. And uh, if you are a returning guest, thanks for coming back and uh, continue to grow with us. We, uh, we are very imperfect people. If you've got your life together, then don't come here. Worship somewhere else because we don't have our lives together. We're always working on it, right? And uh, we're better at being imperfect than perfect for sure. So uh, thank you for being together. It's good to find our energy we need in the Lord. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. Let's pray before we go on too. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, what we've sung, we believe that it is a brand new day in you when we are born again. In fact, as we grow in you, every day is brand new with opportunities, blessings, and we thank you for treating us far better than we deserve. So thank you for drawing us together. There are all kinds of needs that are represented in this place, in this body today. There are hurts, there are dark times, there are great mountaintops and, and great joys that go on. There's, there's everything in between. Whoever we are, whatever we have, whatever we're dealing with, Father, we are so thankful that you are the one constant in our lives. There's no one, no one like you, and we thank you for this day. It's brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. It wasn't long after we were married that uh, Diana learned something about me when it comes to communication. I can be very defensive. Would some of you confess that as well? Yeah, and so she learned to a little to to to, to introduce things, preface it, prefacing with now don't get defensive, or I'm not trying to stir things up, or I know you don't like to talk about this, you know, and uh, and then it, it sort of got me ready, you know, and that's how I want to start this series on money. Now don't get defensive, <laughs> you know. Don't I'm not trying to stir anything up. You know, I know you don't like to talk about this. And that's sad because the Bible, it, God is so honest with us, isn't he? He's so honest. He's so real. He's so basic. And there are a lot of things that, of course, uh, we preachers preach about. And this is one of my favorite subjects, frankly, because when we allow God to speak into our lives, as he wants to do on any subject, uh, even in the subject of financial responsibility, I tell you, friends, it is freeing when we learn his principles and we put them into practice. And there's a kind of joy that we come to and experience when we take God at his word and we practice them, his principles, in the way we ought to. In any subject, certainly in this area as well. As believers, I really believe, my assumption is, we want to be wise in handling our money. Uh, and for that reason, we are ready to hear what God has to say. But how do you know? How do you know if you're being a wise money handler? Maybe the four weeks we're going to be here will help us in that process. And every time we come back to the subject... I have more things to learn about myself and, and, and more ways I need to grow. It's a continual learning process. And so this text is going to give us some principles. It's like, I like marinating meat before I put it on the grill. Do you? And when you marinate meat, you don't dip and slap, right? I mean, you let it, you let it sit there. That's what marination is. You put it in the, in the fluid and you let it sit there. Sometimes for a few hours, sometimes overnight. Certain meats, certain marination for a couple of days, before you cook it. And that's how God's principles are. We let them marinate in our souls and our, our minds to, 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 let us, to help us 
think through it all and let it grip us. And God is so patient with us, isn't he? He's so good to just walk with us in this whole process. Uh, now, what we're going to read out of Corinthians, you know, Corinthians is a letter to the church, the Christians at Corinth. And this section of the letter is basically a fundraising letter because the believers in Jerusalem are going through a crisis. There's a famine and they're suffering. And so Paul is raising money to address their physical needs. And so he's writing this letter so that they will, they will be commended for what they're doing. He uses them as an example. Uh, that these, these, these Christians in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, will not let money define them. Now, our temptation is that we do that. We worry about money. Sometimes we envy people who have money. We fantasize what we would do if we had a lot of money. We fret over it. We salivate. We're not satisfied. But we are called to be something different in this realm we're calling kingdomnomics. So here we go. 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial... Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. As they, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had early, earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Well, I could preach the next three Sundays from this text of these 15 verses. That It's chock full of good principles, but there's, there's a lot of things in the scripture to talk about. We want to deal with three things right now. First of all, the, the, the title of this sermon, you notice, is own nothing. Now, if you don't remember anything else today, which you probably won't, remember that. Own nothing. Here's the truth. God owns everything. God owns everything. Put your index finger up, wag it, turn to somebody on three and say, it doesn't belong to you. One, two, three. It doesn't belong to you. Now, whenever I say one, two, three, you do it. It doesn't belong to you. It's not you. God owns everything. These Macedonians are poor. They are rock bottom poor. But they understood 
that they belonged to God. And because of that, everything they had belonged to God as well. They were liberated from being defined by money. Think how free you would be and I would be if we viewed our lives that way. That we are free, free from letting money define us. Now, to do that, we have to keep coming back to this truth that, that, that we own nothing. It's given to us. It's a basic Bible truth. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Job 41, everything under heaven belongs to me. Can we please confess that that's not how most of us live? Mostly it's, I worked for this. I got my graduate degree so I could enjoy this. I got this so I could spoil my family. I got this, I have this, so I can, I can go on these, these trips. I got this so I could live in this kind of house. That, that, that's, I earned this, I worked for us, I deserve it. There is no attitude more ungodly than that one. Now, I'm not suggesting we all go out now and sell everything we have. That, some have chosen to do that. We'll talk about that November 19th on a Thanksgiving Sunday when we're given permission to enjoy what we have. But we're not ready for that one, okay? The way we're learning today is we own nothing. Where do you think you got your brain that earned you that degree or that job, that talent, that ability? Who sustains the whole universe today? Who's, who grants us even air to breathe today and the health that we have so that we, we could be here? See, we are trustees. When God created the earth, heavens and the earth, he put Adam in the garden, and he gave him dominion over the garden. He was to work the earth, and it was to be a joyful experience to do so. It wasn't laborious work, but it was work to the Lord. God made Adam that way because he was made in the image of God. And one aspect of God's being is he is a caregiver. He is an overseer of all Things created in the universe, spiritual and material. It's all his. So you and I, in reflecting the image of God, we also are made caregivers, tenders of what we have under us in this earth process. That's why socialism is dehumanizing. It robs people of a sense of, of well-being because it, somebody else owns it. Now, it doesn't play out that way in Christianity because we understand the ultimate giver. And we value the fact that we're a trustee under his care. And so, you know, you'll go into a neighborhood with nicer houses where people own those homes than a neighborhood where it's all rental property and they're not well cared for. Why? Because there's not a sense of pride and ownership. Now, that sounds like I am just contradicting what I just said. All I'm saying is when we understand we're trustees, we're caring for what we have because God gave it to us. So if you have to live in a rental property, you're going to care for it differently and better than a person who doesn't understand that God owns everything. Whatever we have, the cars we drive, the houses we live in, the, the clothing we have, all of it's to be well cared for because that's part of being a trustee. Now, if you give, if you give me your Lexus to drive, I'm going to drive it. If, if it's a Tesla, I'll keep it a little longer. I might like it better than I like you. 
Now, if I return that car and I've driven through McDonald's and I've eaten a burger and some fries and I've dropped a couple of fries on the floor and splattered some ketchup on the passenger seat and left my dirty stuff and I give you the car back, what are you going to think? What? I can't believe this guy. Don't you think God sees the same thing in us when we don't well care for what we have and, and use it, be a trustee over it as something he has entrusted to us that belongs to him for us to care for? Everything we have belongs to him. Fundamentally, Christianity is a different economic system. In our country, in capitalism, the principle is uh, it's your money, do with it as you see fit. Socialism says it's really the state's money due according to the people's needs. And kingdomnomics is it's God's money due as he directs it. Use it as he directs it in your life. So we're a kingdom of trustees. And we don't handle God's money God's way. It's a disgrace. In other words, it, 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 it at its very core stands in opposition to the grace we have received. It, it is disgrace. It is the opposite of what grace living is. And so, because of this, you know, there are a lot of ways that we steal from God, when we don't have this kind of attitude, there, there's all kinds of stealing, of course. There's the stealing that comes, blue-collar stealing, like shoplifting or pickpocketing. There's white-collar stealing, like embezzlement and insider trading. And then there's those subtle ways that we don't even recognize our, our stealing, like when we're lazy or we're late to work or, or we make 25 copies at work and we don't pay for those copies. We, we, we take credit, and, and, and God, God always gets the, he gets the short straw, always. There was a 32-year-old lawyer that died and went to heaven, and the angel met him and said, hmm, I see you're here, and he said, what am I doing here? I'm 32 years old, and the angel said, well, this says you're 96 years old. Let me look here. Oh, yeah, I, we added up your timesheets. <laughs> now, we have some great godly lawyers here. My, I, I, forgive me. I could have said engineers or nurses or somebody else, but I didn't. I said lawyers. Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, the, this subject reaches every area of our lives. It, 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 it touches everything. You do, do you, I want to get rid of this house and this car before they know how many problems it has. Or we, we, we shirk our responsibility in doing our taxes. We find, we find ways that we cheat on our taxes. You know, there's a lots, lots of ways that we can, that we can uh, steal. You know, we don't do an honest day's work, so forth. We are called to honor the owner's rights. So Malachi 3, God says, will you rob me? They say, well, how can you rob God? You rob me in tithes and offerings. When we don't give him what he is due. And it's since God owns everything, he has three primary concerns. Know them well. Three things God's concerned about regarding our investments. His purpose, which is winning the world to Christ. So evangelism, getting people to Jesus. His purpose, the poor. He, throughout the scripture, he always has a heart for the poor. And God's people. When they're hurting people among us in God's family who need help. Those are the three things God cares about the most, and he wants us, he calls us to care about. Ephesians 4 says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him give and be generous. So we're either thieves or we've learned to be generous. And if we're not about God's three Ps, 
His purpose, evangelism, winning people to Christ, the poor, and God's people and their needs, then we're not just stingy, we're being, we're being thieves. The reason we have money at all, abilities at all, because he has been generous to us. Now, some of you are saying, okay, I feel guilty. Stop it, stop it. I feel terrible. That's not my goal. It's not for any of us to be here today just to feel shameful or guilty or terrible. It's for us all together just to work. Do you think this, I have this worked out? <clears throat> it's my puberty stepping out. I think. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, I don't have it worked out. I'm still wrestling with it. My finances aren't perfect. I haven't learned to be as generous as I'm supposed to be. And so we're all in this together. And, and, and my tendency, like yours, is to justify everything. And so it's hard, isn't it? It's very That's why it's a personal journey, an individual journey. And that's why Paul is not telling the, the, the Corinthian Christians what they ought to give and how much they should be sacrificing. Because it's a personal growth issue as we grow in the Lord. And we'll never stop growing in it. We'll never be generous enough. It's a lifetime journey. What God wants to see is movement. He wants to see us growing. Now, here's the model. So we got it, right? One, two, three. It doesn't belong. One, two, three. It doesn't belong to you. Okay, we got that, right? Here's the model. Jesus gave everything. Paul says in the text to the Corinthians, I'm not commanding you. He's not telling amounts. All he's saying is, I just want to test you to see if you know how rich you really are. Now, most of us don't realize how rich we are. I mean, all you have to do is Google, and you compare our wealth to the rest of the people in the world. I mean, even taking into consideration uh, standard, uh, I mean, our, our, our inflation and the amount of money we get for work and all that, still, we, we, we are the upper crust of the world. The poorest in our church is still in the upper small percentage in the world in what we have. I'm not commanding. It's not his place. It's not my place. But God does test us. Do we really know how rich we are? And we're never financially free until we've gazed long enough into the face of Christ that it moves us to surrender the money we have for his purposes. So the grace of Christ changes your heart. It just does that. None of us are living the way we are. I am not living. You name any category of life, and I am not living as God wants me to live. In love, in integrity, in kindness, in motivation, in purity. I, I, am, I am shady in every area next to the pure holiness of God. God knew that. And so he sent Jesus to die for me. Why in the world would he do that? Because he wants me to be with him forever, just like he wants you to be ever with him. Now, do you really get that? Do you let that grip your heart? How dare any of us gripe about life? When God wants us to be with him, he's gone to the nth degree to live with us. See, what happens when we gaze long enough at Christ? Our whole value system changes. Now, crises do that. You go through a health crisis or you lose somebody through a tragic death or your child goes through a terrible, terrible time in life emotionally or mentally or, or, or whatever in a relationship and, and everything. Suddenly, what you thought was so important is not so important anymore. You've been there, right? 
You go through dark times and, and suddenly all your priorities are reversed. When you gaze, when we spend time gazing the face of Christ and understand who God is and what he's done, the longer we do that, I tell you, it, it, it just changes our whole value system, our hearts. The grace of Christ also provides a model. How much should I give? How much until I'm called generous? Well, nobody can tell you. But there are three things at least we can practice. One is start to tithe. And I'm going to repeat this later on. Just get prepared. You know, the Old Testament, the Jews lived under a system where that was the base level. Now, they gave more than a tithe. But that was the base level, 10% of, of their year's income. Now, people will say, yeah, but the New Testament doesn't teach to tithe. You're right, it doesn't. All you have to ask yourself is, we have to ask, are, are, you, are you more blessed or less blessed than people of the Old Testament period? Are you more indebted or less indebted than people who lived in the Old Testament period under the law? Well, it goes without saying. All that we have, we're this side of the cross. They didn't understand about the resurrection of God's Messiah. They didn't understand about what it, what it was to have, the, have this look at Christ's return. And they, they knew of God. They knew of faith. They knew that he loved them. He knew, they knew that he was their shepherd over their nation. But they didn't understand God's full exposure of his plan that was going to culminate in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We do. How can we not at least do what they do? Change your lifestyle. Verse 3, the Macedonians gave beyond their ability. Now, I don't think it means foolishly. The only way they could give beyond their ability was how? They had to reassess their list of needs. You know, what happens if you lose your job? Well, immediately you decide what must we have and what's extra. You know, they did this survey back in the first decade of the last century, uh, or 1900s, and they found when they asked people's basic needs, what do you really need for life, they listed four things. They did the same question in 1992, and there were 94 things on the list. And that's probably what your list and my list looks like. This, these are the things I really, really need to have, to have a basic, decent life. You know... Uh, to change the lifestyle is a hard thing. To change what we think we need. Typically what we do is we get our, we, we, we get our checks and we, we, we take care of our bills, our needs, and then we put a little bit away for a rainy day and then we think about retirement and the future and then whatever's left, you know, that's, that's what the Lord, we, we give out of that. And that's totally unbiblical and unscriptural. The Bible teaches beginning to end that he gets the first fruits he gets the first. He gets off the top. One farmer uh, went home excitedly and said, guess what? Our, our cow didn't have one calf. She had two calves. He was elated. He said, you know, as they grow up, I'm going to give one of them to the Lord. So a couple months go by, and he runs in the house. He's so sad. He's so upset. And he, she says, what's wrong, honey? She says, oh, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> That's kind of how we operate, isn't it? And that, that's not the way God blesses. We give, we give from the, off the top. We give, we give first him. And if we have to change our lifestyle to do that, then we do. And we're always called to keep reassessing our lifestyle. If we are living at the level we could live based on our income, 
If we're living at that level, we haven't learned to sacrifice yet. It ought to affect, it ought to affect how we live. We're living less than the level we could live because we want to give to God's purposes. That's just a basic principle. And expand your heart. Expand your heart. In other words, know where your money's going. You ought to know what's happening with what we give here. When you give, I look at what I give here, and I give on the app, and I, I look at that amount I give, I think, what can that do? But you know, joined with you and given in faith, I get to help women who have suffered through domestic abuse and their children who have suffered through sheltering wings. I get, to, I get to rescue fetuses from the womb through life centers when my offering is joined with yours. I get to plant churches through the, through the work of, of Aaron in Washington, D.C. and Ryan in the Caribbean and through, uh, and through the church planters of Eastern Europe and Central Asia and in the Ukraine. You know, I, I get to be a part of that. I get to build a relationship with Muslims through John and Ruth Chestnut in Kosovo. I get to, I get to know my, my, my kids and grandkids are over at the pier building godly relationships and being pointed to Jesus Christ. And I get to see this treehouse serve as a magnet and get kids to find church a happy place to be, get to know Jesus. Now, it also does some very boring things like pay parking lots and pay light bills and pay your preachers. But all of it is about the kingdom. All of it is about addressing God's most important things. His purpose, the poor, and God's people. So let's open our heart to a new perspective locally and globally. Be educated. Know. Listen well. Attentively. Watch the screen. What is your money doing in the world and locally? Here's the irony. Oh, before we do that, put this card up. You're going to see this card in your hand. I want you to consider it's Kingdomnomics. This is where you are. Maybe you've never given. Uh, or you may be given one time. Or occasionally you put something in or you give something. And you're, and, or, or maybe you give consistently. You just don't tithe. Or maybe you tithe, but that's all you do. And so for the next year, where do you want to be? I'm going to, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give something. I'm going to give occasionally. I'll give consistently. I'll, I'll tithe. I'm going to move beyond. And so on November 19th when we come, you'll come showing that. I mean, not, not to anybody publicly, but we're going to join those cards together to, just so we can show movement. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for movement in every aspect of our lives, including financial responsibility. This is where I am. This is how I want to do next year. This is, this is, this is. Maybe you think, tithe, you've got to be kidding. I can't tithe. Now, I think you can. God says you should. But if you really can't go that far, just decide what percentage you're going to start at. Maybe you're going to start at 2%. Next year, you're going to, you're going to raise it a percent or two. Up until you get to the tithe, which is the baseline, and then you're going to learn to be generous beyond that. Move. That's what God wants us to do to show our growth. Here's the irony. I will take everything. I will take everything that I have put to use for the kingdom of God regarding my finances. Uh, how do I know that? Matthew 6, 20, Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where malls and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, really what we're doing when we give to the Lord's purposes is we're sending it ahead. 
We're sending it ahead. And how do we know it's going to get there? Because when you get there, it's going to be there in the form of people. Because there are only two things that last forever, God's word and people. That's it. And when we give sacrificially that the gospel would be announced, it's going to be seen. The fruit is people's lives. Wouldn't that be grand if God says, all you people come forward in heaven here who because of this guy, this gal, what they gave, you're here today because you heard the gospel. What would that look like? Wouldn't that be great? I don't know if he'll do that or not. doesn't matter. This is what he said to do. And so Paul is saying here, take the long view. Put your money into things that last. Imagine you giving your daughter $10,000. They say, do what you want to do with it. And she becomes a groupie for Lady Gaga. And you think, what an idiot. You know, that's the best you could do. I mean, why couldn't you invest and get some dividends on it? You know, uh, God looks at us. And he must so often think, why won't they invest into the things that are even going to outlive them, that are going to go beyond them, that's going to really make a difference in eternity? Don't you want to be a wise money hand so God looks at you and say, man, well done. It's good. I think we all want that. And so all I know is this is God's command. This is his teaching. Now, I realize in our congregation, we have people in all age levels, And we have people at every socioeconomic level. We have among us homeless people who are members of our church who are depending on active grace to help them get back on their feet again. We have members here. We have a lot of members right now that are jobless. And they're praying just like you're praying. And they're wondering why they don't have a job yet. And in faith, they keep worshiping here. They keep serving here. And they wonder what's going to happen. And we have people on the other end of the spectrum that uh, have had money poured into their lives. They're millionaires. We have everything, right? There's everything. God's principles work for everybody. We have lots of people on fixed incomes. Their investments aren't doing so great. They wonder if they'll have enough uh, to see them through to the end of their life, right? We all have different circumstances. God's principles are for all of us. He was close friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, rich friends he had. He also commended that little widow lady in the temple who gave a couple of coins in the temple coffers. He saw her great faith. It works. It works that the blessing of God comes. Now, the blessing may not come in the way you want it to come, but he will bless. That's what he does. What if, what if, what if Jesus had said, my blood's my own blood. I'm keeping it. Where would we be today? His blood came to undeserving people like us. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That's what he did. Brothers and sisters, I I think we're here wanting to be like Jesus. I really believe it. That's my assumption. We want to be like Jesus. So to do so, let's learn to give. Let's give often. Let's give freely. Let's give much. Let's give uncommonly for the glory of Jesus Christ and watch the hand of God work in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is hard truth for us by which to live because we do enjoy things and what we have and and you have told us we can. So I thank you for that. 
you never commanded us to give a vow of poverty, but you've asked us to be wise stewards. So in these four weeks, I pray that we'll learn more and more. Today, what we need to learn is, Father, whatever we have is a gift. And I pray we learn it well, Father, that everything we own, we're to care for and to use for your glory and honor. So, Father, help us to know how to hold loosely to what we have. And help us to put these principles to work, Father, and to test you and see if you will not come through with what you promised. We thank you. We love you. And now we get to sing the glory of your name. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.